stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Howdy, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off the Bench podcast. I always say that, don't I? Exactly like that. It's kind of like it reminds me when I was a kid, there was a show, I think it was a Tarak show. Uh, Joffa Boy used to say, Howdy, doody, boys and girls. And the kids just say, Howdy, doody, Joffa Boy. And that's because I had a fantastic childhood. I really did. Sadly, though, not everybody has a fantastic childhood and some kids are placed into foster care and you know while while there can be some really great families out there and there can be really some some I don't know some great opportunities for these kids it's not always the case and and these kids really 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 need a lot of support they need a lot of understanding they need a lot of um, awareness from others in the community just to recognize that they are the same as everybody else that you know they don't always have clothes that fit they don't always have the same opportunities and often they're seen as different but they're not they're exactly the same and just that their circumstances are different and today I really want to shine a light on the on foster kids and you know really really bring their voice to the table and start to start to raise awareness I mean not start to I mean there are people out there already doing that but just just to just to be another voice for them and people out there already doing that one of those great people is Heather Baird and Heather is a local here in Sale and she and she started a better life for foster kids and just wanting to make a difference to kids you know and just wanting to say you know what this isn't fair this isn't fair and somebody needs to help. And you know that saying, somebody should do something about that. And then I realised, hey, I am somebody. So I did something about that. That's exactly what Heather did. And she's an absolute bloody legend. She won't take any credit for it. And she says that it's all to do with her volunteers in the community, which I agree because they are incredible people. But if it wasn't for Heather starting it, it wouldn't exist. The, the foundation is doing such a wonderful job. And I want you to hear a story. Um, Heather came from the out-of-home care system and she she was in an orphanage when she was a, a really, really little girl. And she's got her own story that goes behind this. You're going to absolutely love this episode. Uh, love it for the empathetic reasons and the heartwarming reasons. It's not, it's not a, you know, it's not a nice thing to think that there are all these kids out there that don't have permanent homes. But if we don't talk about it, um, we, we can't raise awareness. So I'll stop talking and I reckon we'll just get Heather straight in. So welcome, Heather. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
It's my absolute pleasure. I, I've been watching you for some time and I just keep thinking I've got to get Heather on. And and typical as it is, everything gets buried and I don't. But um, just <laughs> recently, you know, uh, I'm one of the uh, facilitators for Gippsland Community Leadership Program and uh, Andrew and a few others, one of the, their group did a uh, a fundraising project for a better life for foster kids and it kind of threw you back into my limelight again and I thought right I've got to get on to this but Heather you're just amazing oh thank you I don't know whether it's so I'm so amazing it's um what the community allow us to do and I've got the most wonderful volunteers that um make it just so so easy really so it's um it's a real pleasure to be able to do it yeah and absolute humility that's you uh, <laughs> to the core but we will we'll unpack you know what is a better life for foster kids and your story and stuff like that certainly yep you, you just you, you are incredible so whether you're going to take it or not um I'm going to give it and and you I I think I saw you won a Westfield, was it Westfield Local Hero Award just recently as well? I did. That was so exciting because um, we came through with such a resounding success and it really surprised me that there were so many people out there that knew about us, let alone anything else. Yeah. It's it's it's. I think it's a surprise to you because you're so buried in your work. You know, and you're not you're not actually getting your head above the bench. You know, to, to find out what's going on. Out there. But other people are watching you, and you know, it's um. I I just think you, you you're amazing. I worry about you. I think worry about you driving yourself into the ground. But you know, you you're just incredible. But before we get into the whole thing, you know, just so people listening, tell us a little bit about um a better life for foster kids. Okay, a better life for foster kids came about when I was doing my student placement at Child Protection in Sale. Um, we removed three children from a family. And when we did, they had absolutely nothing. Um, and this was a common occurrence. And trying to actually get something for these children, basic things, toothbrush, toothpaste, underpants, you know, clothes, was nigh on impossible. And the sad part about um, the department and the agencies is that everything's earmarked, you know, like I couldn't go and buy a school uniform for this girl. But there was money there to go and buy her a birthday present. Um, so everything had to fit into a square hole. And our kitties don't fit into a square hole. So um, after I'd finished my placement and I had applied for a job with child protection and went nearly all the way through, and then it actually struck me that I wasn't going to last in child protection. I'd be fighting the system every second of the day. Um and luckily, I did not get the, th the last interview part. I didn't get through. So that left me with the thought, okay, so what are you going to do now? You've done this diploma with the thought of um, going into child protection. So what are you going to do? And I realised that I wasn't going to fit into your agencies, your departments, jobs and that sort of thing. And it took me back to thinking about these kids with nothing when they leave home they go into a foster home and they've got nothing nothing that's theirs nothing that fits them nothing that's nice 
Um, and so I come across this idea that I'd start this charity thinking that it would just be, you know, something that would fit, fill sale sort of thing. Um, but then it just kept growing and kept growing. And sadly, the demand is just doesn't stop. It just keeps going on and on and on. Mm. So hence we came up with A Better Life for Foster Kids. So that's for, how long ago was that? Eight years. Eight years ago. Wow. Yeah. Oh. And it's growing and growing. And I think that is sad. I think it's great that the charity is growing. I think that, you know, pe- more people are getting on board and supporting you. But I also think it's sad that there's a need for it to grow. You know, that that's really sad. Oh, look, it is. When I first started the charity, there was just under 7,000 kids in out-of-home care in Victoria. Um, that's government numbers. But we have a very high percentage of kinship carers and of informal carers that are never included in these numbers that the government put out. We're now well and truly over the 11,000, 12,000 mark. So that's in eight, eight years. You know, that's, a, that's an awful lot of extra children to come into a system like this. Um, sadly, hardly any go to permanent care and none are adopted. So, you know, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs for what we are when I stop and think that I honestly believe, as you know, I was raised in the system. I believe these children now are worse off than what I was 75 or 65 years ago. I'm not making myself older than what I am. <laughs> um, and I think they're, they're worse off, you know, and it, it's so sad that we've got such a broken system and nobody will stand up and say, it's not working, let's fix it. Sadly, yes. the, welfare, the welfare system is no longer a welfare system. It's an industry now. Absolutely every person or everything that's involved in our um, out-of-home system is geared at meeting targets to get funding to keep jobs and the children are no longer up on the top of the pyramid. I think that's, I think it's sad, but also think it's disgraceful. I, I worked for DHS for about, I don't know, probably only a year. Same, same mm-hmm. issue. I, I just couldn't fit. I couldn't fit in the system. It just, you, I, exactly what you're saying, you know, it's just a metrics game and it's, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's bloody disgraceful. I, I, that's the best I can put it. But you were talking then about um, hardly any go into permanent care and none are mm-hmm. adopted. Why? why? Why are we doing that? Look, We've become a society of enablers. We enable all substance abuse. We enable parents that aren't being parents, that sort of thing. Um, uh, Quite a few years ago now, the the legislation changed to um, say that children, once they've been out of home care for two years, must move on to permanent care. But if the parents show the slightest bit of improvement, they can extend that for 12 months. Mm. And that can go on for three or four years. So they're still rolling around in the system. And so they aren't going to go to permanent care when we know they're never going to go home. So by the time these kiddies get to seven or eight, everybody puts their hands up and say, oh, they're uncontrollable. They're not uncontrollable. The poor little 
buggers have been bouncing around in a system that doesn't look after them for that long. They get sick of telling their story to the numerous amounts of carers that they have and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, we've lost them by that age. Yeah. And if they're still in the, you know, not into a permanent home by the time they get 12, you may as well just give up because, you know, it's just too far gone for them. If you get a judge that says no reunification, that means that child should be going straight into permanent care, mm. shouldn't be going from one carer to another carer. It's not going home. So let's set it up with a family who want them, love them, and will hopefully nurture them into happy adults. And there are a lot of people out there who really do want to adopt kids too. Oh, look, the, yeah, I mean, the adoption rate, you know, we don't have adoption in Victoria. It doesn't matter what they say, maybe a couple of hundred kids. I don't know what the latest statistics are. Um, but it's very rare. It really is very rare for children to be adopted. And why not? You know, if you've got loving people who want and who'll step up and raise somebody else's child, why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we giving these kiddies a chance? And I know my I was placed in care at two and a half years old. Um, back then adoption was a lot higher. It was just my mother didn't sort of want me, but she didn't want me to be adopted either. So therefore I was one of those kids floating around in the system all this time, whereas at two and a half years old, <coughs> I could have been adopted out easy. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, it's um being is if you put these kiddies into permanent care or adoption, it's going to break the industry because we're not going to need as many public servants. The money is not going to be needed. Um, so you've got that whole other demographic about it. It's what do we do with all these people in this system now that we'd no longer need if we didn't have as many children? Mm, well, I, I think put the kids first, but anyway, that's a whole other story. But what with your story, you know, when you, you say your mum didn't want you but she didn't want you in in to be adopted either, how, how long were you in that system for and why? You know, what, what happened in the first place? Um, I was two and a half years old. We got mum actually left us with a family member the day before Christmas. Um, <clears throat> and actually it was the 23rd of December it would have been uh, to go down and get a job apparently. Um, didn't return and the family member had numerous other children of her own, couldn't really cope with the extras, and we were put into an orphanage down in Geelong. Um, I should have street baby's home, but the matron, at the orphanage said she would take me into her home until I was old enough to be in the orphanage so that I wasn't separated from my brother and my sister. Um, and every time they tried to find mum, she would disappear again, but she'd never ever sign the adoption papers, so therefore we just stayed in the system. I finished, left the system when I was nearly 18. Oh, God. How, how, what were your siblings? Like how many siblings? And um, I had five siblings at the time. The two older boys at the ripe old age of 11 and 13 were sent off to work in two different places. 
um, and there was my sister, my brother and myself that went into the homes. Do you still have contact with them? Uh, yeah, they um, they ended up coming home. Uh, my mother met another chap and we had two other children and brought us home from the orphanage, but it didn't work out. My brother stayed, but my sister and I didn't. Um, so we went back into homes and that. So, yeah, it wasn't the pleasantest, you know, the nicest time to be around in the house and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it was we were in the homes. I was lucky enough to have been taken in by um, Mother Rita from the Good Shepherd Convent in Bendigo. Uh, I was actually the youngest girl to ever go into the convent side of things. Um, and she gave us the fantastic education. We were taught everything from cooking to elocution, basically. Um, so we didn't want for anything as far as that type of thing went, but you're raised without any love, so that sort of, yeah, it doesn't sort of balance out. It makes it a lot harder when you're older and you want to, you know, start having your own family and learning how to love people and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, um, I suppose I knew nothing different, so it wasn't something that would really affect me. But do you think it has affected you? Oh, look, I can't say it hasn't affected me. I've um, kept my distance from people all my life, really, until I actually met my husband. Um, I was always independent. Um, I still am independent and stubborn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is, but I, I lived life as a survivor. You've got to be a survivor. You don't let many people close to you. Mm. Um, and, like, I didn't, I've got no school friends as such because we weren't at a, the same school for like everybody else yeah it amazes me I've got wonderful friends that have got friends that they went to kindergarten with yeah. I've never had any I've never had anybody in my life for 50 years yeah. um you know that I've been constant with except my sister and I lost her a few years ago uh she was my mother my sister my best friend she was everything to me um so losing her was devastating basically that's the one thing that I sort of still struggle with mm. um yeah and you've got no extended family you know we didn't have the aunties in the well we had them but they weren't involved with us so that's leaves you very independent I think so when you're talking about, you know, not having a school friend and, and you know, I started this conversation with uh, the biggest biggest PJ Day, you know, yeah. that, that um, Gippsland Community Leadership Program did and they, they got a whole lot of schools for the kids to wear pyjamas and give a gold coin donation. I, I think they raised, I think someone told me $26,000 or something was something. Oh, no, I, yeah, I'm not too sure. I don't think it was that amount. Last tally we did was 12500 which oh, is okay. an amazing, yeah. amazing amount of money. But I haven't caught up with the group, so I don't take it that that's gospel amount. Well, I hope I'm right and I hope you're wrong. <laughs> oh, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't verify it, but anyway, I'm, I'm fingers crossed that I'm right. But, you know, there was um, the whole point was for kids to wear pyjamas and sort of have, I guess, 
open up the conversation to say, look, there's there's probably foster kids in your school, you know, here amongst us, and you know that they're. they're they could be going through a tough time, do you know, like let's all let's all wear pajamas, let's all say, hey, let's all make it a symbol that, hey, I'm with you, you know, I'm here, it's okay. But I think even so, um, it's good that the conversation is open, but I, I think kids are still going to, it's going to be a long time before we kids can look at other kids and go, hey, you, you're okay, do you know, I, I understand you oh. don't have friends, oh. I understand you moved to schools because kids really don't have the capacity to, to think that deeply, you know, about it. But when how does that how does that like like one of the parts of developing as a child is is who we're around and who we feel safe oh, with yeah. you know who our network is and and it, it I don't know it, it really saddens me to think that these kids are moving from one place to the next and they just don't have that crux you know they just don't have they don't even have a, li- a little friend, and I'm not, I'm not making that belittling, a little no. young friend to, sure. to whisper things to and to share secrets with and to, you know, and to trade toys. You know what I mean? They just, yeah, yeah. Sure. that's part of they, development. That's sad. Look, they, it is sad. It's very, very sad. Um, and taking from when I was growing up, well, you just didn't have that sort of, Thing. you know it was you you just didn't all have your own toys and we you know be lucky to get a doll on your birthday or something like that you know so um I can honestly not remember playing with toys as a child <sighs> I really I really cannot that is not something but then I've blocked out an awful lot of my childhood purely for the bad parts that were involved in it um but look yes and you know, we've got kiddies that have been with the carer for five, six years because there was no family member to suitable at the time and that type of thing. And a classic case, we had a young girl, local young girl, um, and she was with her carer for six years. Mm. And then a new, new caseworker came on board and realised that nobody had done a family trace. So therefore, did a family trace and found a great granddad up in, Queensland somewhere um, that would was happy to take this child on. So this child was removed from the only family she had ever known, all because somebody thought she was better off with family than what she was with the carer. You know, um, that has to be the most damaging thing that anybody could do to a child. Um, it would be different if they'd had a relationship with the families and that mm. sort of thing. But when there's been no relationship there from birth, to do that to a child is just, you know, it just leaves me speechless. At least one thing I knew growing up in the homes was that was it. I wouldn't go anywhere else. They weren't going to help and move me to somebody else and that sort of thing. Um, So you learn very quickly to adapt to that home, adapt to that style of living. Whereas these children don't get that. They haven't got permanency, which is a really, really sad thing. But it's just, it's it's survival and kids should be thriving, not surviving. Do you, you know, it's. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yes. Why, why do kids go into foster care? Like, like the, I guess the common thought is that, you know, the, the parents are abusive or something like that, but there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons that kids end up in the system. 
Oh, look, there's heaps of different reasons why kids end up in the system. Um, the main one is, yes, either neglectful or abusive parents, um, which is sad that that's the main one, but that is the main one. Uh, emotional abuse is one of the highest forms of child abuse. You can do more damage with emotional abuse than what you can with physical abuse. Um, it could just be like... Um, and you know, family breakup, and mum isn't coping, and they need, you know, she needs some help to get over that. Um, the lot domestic violence is another big thing. Um, obviously, if it's happening in the home, we can't leave the child there mm. because it's an unsafe environment for the child. But mainly, it is substance abuse, and we're mm. having we're having kids having kids. You know, how can they possibly have life skills that they can raise a child sort of thing? Um, sadly, we're going into the sixth generation of Centrelink families in sale. Wow. Now, that, that is so sad. Mm. I had one little girl say to me that um, the only lady who she ever, she ever seen go to work was an auntie. No other family member got up and went to work in the morning. You know, so that's sort of, and when you've got people doing nothing, they've got to fill their time somehow. And that's when the substance abuse and the child neglect um, goes out of it and or comes into it, sorry. And so a very small portion of kiddies in out-of-home care are there purely because their family needs a little bit of assistance at the time. There's been no child abuse. There's been no um, neglect. It's just been too overwhelming. I remember at one stage when I first split up and I had my four children and obviously it was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of um, <coughs> hard adjusting and that sort of thing. And quite often I think, oh, if only there was somewhere that I could just go and get some help. Um, and sometimes it is just too overbearing and some people just cannot cope. could be sickness on behalf of the parent. Um, so, yeah, there's many different reasons, but it is mainly neglect and abuse. And I, I understand I have a lot of empathy for the, you know, the situation where somebody can't cope or somebody's sick, you know, that sort of stuff. But mm, mm. I struggle. I, I I do struggle to be empathetic towards um, people who are abusive towards kids, do you know. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, mm. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is something that the world, not just Australia, not just Sale, not just Victoria, you know, the world needs to say enough is enough we have had enough child abuse child neglect and we're not going to tolerate it anymore you know like a parent that's on substance abuse they don't have to come in clean to have listening rights they've just got to come in under mm. a certain level rubbish you either get yourself clean or you don't see that child mm. you know we it's time we take a harder stance on that and also child abuses we shouldn't be accepting any abuse that happens to a child mm. but we do you know we had that little boy that was um 
bashed to death in Painesville. He was only a little baby. Um, and that made a little bit in the, in the Herald Sun. It didn't make great big headlines or anything like that. The mother's boyfriend did it to him. Um, but somebody mistreated a dog, and that went on in the paper for days. You know, I mean, I'm dead against any cruelty of animals, so don't get me wrong there. But how can the death of a little baby take up more time than something like that? It just doesn't make sense to me. No, I think any violence is just bloody disgusting. And, I, I, you know, I, we, we won't open it up, but I could, I could go down a whole rabbit. I reckon, <laughs> I, I reckon that the whole judicial system is shit, you know, and, the, and that um, there should be bloody consequence. You, you know, you should bloody... Anyway, I um anyway we because otherwise I'm going to get furious about it because it really, it really pisses me off. But it, I'm trying I'm trying to be professional, but <laughs> I'm struggling. But it, anyway, uh, but, but at, at what point, like um, I know you said you know that that you you said well what can I do? I'll start up this charity and. What with me, I do get off the bench and I help people to start things up, you know, and I get mm-hmm. support them. But what I see a lot of people say is that it's too big. Um, no, I don't think I should do it. I'm not the one. I have, not, I have too much self-doubt. You know, um, someone else can do it. I'm not good enough to do it. You know, I, I hear all the, I hear all of that. But what was it that made you go, it has to be, I, I have, I, like I can push through. Did you? Did you push through because you had, like, did you have to push through self-doubt or did you push through because you were so emotionally driven to do it? Um, when I did, basically, I, um, I've i grown up denying everything that happened to me to a point. All the abuse and everything like that, I just put it out of my head completely. When I did my diploma, I realised, hang on a sec, you need to, if you're going to go and work in child protection, you need to acknowledge what happened to you and you need to not accept what happened to you, but you need to accept that you weren't to blame for it, which especially in sexual abuse, it is you're the one made to feel the blame. You're the one made to feel guilty. Um, and I remember I went, I actually went and seen a very good counsellor who I can still ring today and say, hey, I need to talk to you for a little bit. Um, and, you know, I said to her one day, the hardest thing that I've got that I really struggle with is the fact that somebody took my innocence. So by doing that, it denies you the coming out, if anything, of all those emotions that should have been in a happy time. And I honestly think that it's very hard to respect something that's been stolen from you. Mm. Um, And that's that's the biggest thing I had to struggle with. You know, I, I had to struggle with the fact that I didn't get that sense of things being special or anything like that because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. Simple as that. So that was the main thing I really had to sort of find out first because a lot of our kids are sexually abused. It's, there's no denying it. Um, so I had to know how to deal with that myself before I could help them 
learn how to deal with it. And it took a long time. Um, so I did. I went and I seen this lady for quite some time. And then I just sort of thought, well, you know what? There's only going to be certain people that can actually do what you're doing. It's somebody who's not lived it could not bear it, basically. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing I've had to give is the fact that I've actually lived this life. So I've already felt those feelings. And I think that is my biggest asset, to be quite truthful. I've gone through the thing where going to an outside school and they all knew we were homies because of our clothing and that sort of thing. Um, and that there was only the one or two schools that we went to outside school with. And I hated every second I was over at those schools because you didn't have what the other kids had to start off with. Um, and your clothing wasn't, you know, fashionable, didn't sometimes didn't fit properly and that sort of thing. So I think my biggest asset is the fact that I've been there, done that. So nothing really is going to shock me. The only thing that shocks me now is, especially in physical and sexual abuse, is the extent and the things that they do. Mm. You know, there's, there's, they used to say there's morals amongst criminals. But there's no morals amongst sexual and physical abuses of children. So that's the one thing that I do find hard to deal with. And to be quite truthful, Karen, if I have a really bad day, I'll go home and have a nice glass of wine and calm down a little bit. Um, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> that, that's, that's my best um, uh, detox, I call it, is that, um, yeah, I'll go and have a wine or something like that. Or, or if it's really affecting me, I will go and speak to my lady. Yeah, and when I, when I think about um, for you and for other kids, like all all these emotions come up in my mind, you know, like fear, um, like like being discriminated against, bullying, isolation, confusion, like a sense of abandonment. You know, like there's just over and over and over. There's so many things I can think of that um, oh. you know, feelings that feelings that you must feel oh look it's um one thing i will say when you're uh, growing up in the home like we were schooled at the orphanage sort of thing um if anybody got too nasty there was always a bigger bully and so you'd go to that bigger bully to protect you and the kids did whereas i don't think the kids of today get that in school because they're not allowed to do that sort of thing um and I you know I do I just sort of think that um it's um it it is hard it's a hard life um and I think the quicker we start giving kiddies to permanent care parents that will lessen the damage that happens to these children yeah um yeah because you like when you're in a family you've got a big brother You've got a big sister or, or that sort of thing, you know. Um, you've got mum and dad who come and get you every day from school and you can get in the car, you can burst out crying or whatever you need to do just to get over it. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I think, you know, that these kiddies go through things that people really don't know. Like I said in the video for the Gippsland's Biggest PJ Day, um, if the kids have got one of the kids got a foster kid in their class, 
you know, when they're going to be very emotional. And that's something I think that all our schools need to be taught. They need to be taught that these children are going to be far more emotional than your average child. And they will play out more than your average child. Mm. But it's something the whole school, the class, kids in class can sort of just ignore the outburst and, you know, not laugh at them, that sort of thing. Um, or just, you know, saying, hey, you're all right. Mm. Yeah. You're okay here. You know, it's, and I think that's education. Um, it's something that needs to be taught for these kiddies because we are getting more and more kids in out of home care. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that we need to teach a lot more kindness too. And, and you know, if, if we were taught more human skills in school, uh, you know, I think we'd be in a much better place all round. You know, the whole world would be in a much better place. Oh, yeah. definitely. Mm. So when you said about going home and having a wine, what's a day in the life of Heather look like? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me tell you. This morning I left home at 6 o'clock. Um, I was up at four, left home at six, went down to a little school near Wonthaggy, Kongwa. I hope I've pronounced that properly. Kongwa, um, yeah. Yeah, who's only got 16 students. The kiddies um, participate in the PJ Day, so I took a certificate down to them and um, presented that and thanked them at their um, assembly this morning. So I've come back from there and... I'm a nana and I love nana duties. So called in at Cooey Rup where one of my little granddaughters is having a bit of problems at school um, and then headed home, picked up a few things for the, um, that have been donated and now I'm sitting in Terrell and talking to you. On the side of the road in the van. <laughs> so if you're wondering what all the clicky noises are here and there, it's Heather trying to balance her phone and talk to me at the same time. Do you, exactly. do you um so do you you go out and collect donations and all that kind of stuff? You're like you, Yeah, 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 we do. We um you know, especially if I'm transitioning a child or a young adult from out of home care into a unit or something like that. Yeah. Whatever I need, I put the call out and our fantastic community always answers. So sometimes it means I've got to go around for a bit of a tour and collect. Um, in the last two weeks, I've set up three households, one for a grandmother that's got her three grandchildren and, you know, didn't have what she needed to, mm. you know, cope with it. Um Another one is an auntie who stepped up and has taken on her two niece, two nieces and a nephew. Um, and this is a young lady. Uh, she's amazing. She's got three of her own little kitties, so her hands wow. are going to be totally full. Um, and it's amazing the amount of people who will step up and try just to keep children out of it, foster, yeah. the foster system. So we do a lot of setting up I do a lot of um setting up nurseries for young mums uh or if a mum's gone through the uh substance rehabilitation and is ready to try and have the children at home we'll set up their house completely with absolutely everything from sheets to tvs to whatever you know your complete house and I'll also um stock their pantry with a couple of hundred dollars worth of stable foods 
Mm-hmm. So it gives them that initial thing, you know, basically I'm saying to them, now look, you've got none of these problems. You don't have to worry about furniture. You don't have to worry about food for, you know, the first month at least. Um, you've got everything you could possibly need. Now, that includes, like, I buy pegs, mop, bucket, broom, the whole kit and caboodle. So because I know that um, I've been where I haven't had what I needed and young children. Um, so, therefore, I know that's a big part of these people um, being a success in having their children back. And if we yeah. can stop one child from going into out-of-home care, the whole charity's worth it. Yeah, agree. So you do, um, yeah, I've just got a list here, you do crisis cases, furniture and equipment supply, which is what you were just talking about there, housing transition packages, advocacy and support for carers, Christmas gifts and a fund that is for others do care so that people can just help them have normal, kids have normal activities. The one I want to talk about, I think they're all bloody fantastic. Tell me about <laughs> the crisis cases, though. That, like that's the one that you, you, um, I've seen your, I've seen pictures of your hallway, like filled with all these little cases, you know. And yeah, that is them. our, that's our core product. That is what we are. We supply these crisis cases. Um, like I said, when I was with the department, I couldn't. One local opportunity shop told me I could have two items per child. Um, So, you know, that was what they allowed. So I could not get these children some clean clothes that fitted them. So that was what started the charity. I said, okay, I'm going to ask for donations um, of good quality secondhand clothing and I'm going to find a way of doing it. So we started off with, Remember those brown paper bags I used to have in the supermarkets? Yeah. 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 We started off with them, myself and my mother-in-law, um, who even has just been, Yvonne has just been such a staunch supporter. It's amazing. Um, so we started off with them. We were doing it from my kitchen table to start off with. Um, and I think the first time I said, look, if I get enough to do six bags, I'll be happy. Within a matter of, a couple of months it was okay this is too big for home I need to find somewhere we found uh we were given the old netball courts where the new tape building is um but as soon as people realized we were there we got people breaking in and stealing and you know just messing trashing the place and all that to the point where um we just couldn't stay there so then we moved into the memorial hall our first year we had a budget of $1,569 or something like that. That was raised from um, bunning sausage sizzle and cake uh, stalls that my mother-in-law and I did. So wow. um, it was yeah, so it was just amazing. So we started off with our brown paper bags and then we slowly built up to where um, we were able to get some suitcases and we got a grant here and a grant there and somebody found out about us and loved it, so they supported us, you know. Um, each case has three outfits in it for the kiddies, at least. This is the minimum that comes in a case. Uh, they have new underwear, which is quite insistent on the new underwear, um, and socks, and they have um, toiletries, age-appropriate toiletries. Uh, the bubbies have nappies, wipes, toiletry pack, 
Um, and then each child is given a handmade blanket and a handmade teddy. The reason we're so insistent that every single case has that in it is because it shows the child that somebody's actually caring enough yeah. to actually make something. Yeah. You know, a lot of these kids, have, you know, stuff's been bought from blah, 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 blah. But to show these children that, you know, somebody actually does think they're worthy, mm. that they've gone out and they've made these things. So we have those in every nice. single case. And for the 5 to 12 years old, we have a book by um, a wonderful author I found in New South Wales. And it's my story. It's a colouring book. It's a reading book. And it allows a child to tell their story without actually saying, this has happened to me. You can tell by the way the child colours in, whether there's something dark there. Um, And the other one is um, My Home, which explains to them that they're foster carers. That is now their home. So, you know, um, so and each one has a fridge magnet that shows them what we do, where we get help and that sort of thing. So not only do the kids get the clothes they desperately need, Mm. um, we go always try to have new pyjamas, winter and summer, Um, but it also shows that it gives them something that belongs to them and that case goes with them everywhere and it's the permanency of that case, Mm. you know. Um, We looked at backpacks and looked at different things and, but I feel a suitcase gives it a little bit more permanency. Yes. So we use the suitcases um, and it gives the kids their own things. You know, they can, they, the carers have said to me, it's amazing watching them go through their case oh, wow. and he, hearing the little squeals of joy and the little <laughs>, laughs and that sort of thing. They all get a little toy in there too, you know. So it's, um, if I say to you, pack your case for a, your child to go to camp, school camp for five days a week, that's what you put in the case and that's what we put in all the cases. Wow. And, and it's kind of like a sense of belonging too, isn't it? You know, it's like it is. That, that yeah. ownership yeah. and it's something that's mine and, and I belong, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is because, look, 90% of these kids are brought up with it's your fault, this is happening, you know, it's your fault, Dad left, it's your fault, blah, 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 blah. Um if I hadn't have had you, well, I wouldn't be in this situation. You know, just things like that. So it's just saying to these kids, hang on a second, you're worth it. Yep. We oh, think you're worth it. Yep. And that it gives them some self-esteem. Yeah. I was just about to say it's that's that it's the self-worth and self-esteem mm. that's been uh, knocked out of the kids, you know. It's yeah, very, very important. It took me a long, long time to realise that I was worth something. And I'm not talking, you know, 20, 30 or anything like that. I'm talking, you know, 50, 60 sort of thing. Um, yeah, you know, I'd say roughly when I was about 40, that's when I started thinking, hang on a second, Heather, you're the one who can, you know, you've managed to do all this. So you've got to start liking yourself. Yeah. And if we can, if we can instil that into these kiddies a lot younger than what I learnt it, mm we've got a much better chance of bringing them back into the community as happy adults. Yeah. 
Well, well, you're doing a lot of a lot of good things towards it. So, and, and you're making them feel loved. And, and I yeah. think I think that's the most essential thing is for them to know that there are people out there who care. You know, I think that's oh, definitely that, yep. That's uh, that really is one of the most important things out there. You know, they to be shown that they there are people out there that do care. Yeah that want them to succeed, that want the best for them. Um, and the community does that every day of the week. Every time I get a phone call to say, Heather, I'd like to donate to a better life for foster kids, that's another person out there saying, we think that this is worth it. Yeah. And that passes on to the children. You know, like um, we send out, we've started our Christmas giving trees now and we've sent out, we'll send out Christmas presents from I've actually will start them tomorrow and that'll go right through to Christmas Eve because a, a lot of children get removed in that last week in December. Um, so it's, yeah, it's sort of a, awareness is what's going to change our system, Karen. Yeah. Awareness. I can, I'm happy to go talking to anywhere and anywhere um, because it is awareness. And why I love going to the schools is because they're, especially the um, secondary schools, they're the ones who are going to have a chance to change this broken system. They're the ones who are going to have a louder voice than what we have. Yeah. But I know the first talk I ever did uh, at one of the local CWA meetings and you could hear the gasps in the audience when telling them stories and then you could see a few ex-teachers nodding their head because oh. they had seen it. But your average person doesn't know half of what happens to these children, um, and that's why we need awareness. Yeah. PJ Day, over 7,000 kids were involved. That's awareness. Yep. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully that continues every year. Oh, look, I hope so. <laughs> wow. I mean, I've heard, heard a couple of whispers, so we're keeping our fingers crossed. Yes, definitely. And that's fantastic. And it's not just about raising funds for you. It's the it's the no. awareness. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's doing it every year and for the kids at the school to be saying, oh, when are we having that PJ day for the foster kids? Do you know, like that just, that that puts normality into the conversation and it puts it on the table instead of, Instead of finger pointing and what's wrong with yeah. those kids, and you know, it's um, yeah. because it must be nothing worse than being a foster kid at school and someone's pointing their finger at you when you're already, already suffering uh, trauma of some sort. De look, definitely, and that that is the thing we've got to normalize these children. Mm. They're no different to any other children in any other school. The thing that's different is their circumstances. Yeah. But they're like my kids are like other, you know, everybody's children. They're all children. And these kids' circumstances are, is what puts them where they are, which they've got no control over. Um, you know, I had, I, I've, in the whole time I've been doing this charity, I had one person after giving a talk came up to me and said, I'm sorry, but that does not help happen in my town. Oh. Now, that lady... That lady came from sale, you know, and she said, it won't happen in my life. I won't let it into my life. 
And I'm like, <laughs> I, I was just blown away. I actually just had to, you know, walk away. Um, and we need, because people think they're bad kids, and, you know, it's their fault and that they're not bad kids. They've just had bad circumstances. And the quicker the community realise that, the quicker we can start making changes. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe someone's I'm laughing, but I'm not really laughing. I'm like in a bit of shock. That's buddy, that's um well, you know what, even if you didn't know it was there, you, you that's pure arrogance to bloody say that, or ignorance, you know, to be ignorance to oh, be look, saying yes. That, yeah. that's incredible anyway and i know you're you are supported with a whole heap of volunteers like you all you pink ladies you got your beautiful pink shirts <laughs> and you're all in there packing now you and you talked about um like raising awareness we all need to step up we all need to speak about it we all need to talk about it like it's normal and we all need to not try and keep it under the covers but as for um supporting you with uh, donations and with uh, clothing donations, money donations, and all that kind of stuff. What what do you need, and and how can people help? Karen, I always say, if your child needs it, our children need it. Um, what I normally do is um, this time of year we just stop taking secondhand clothing only until after Christmas because we concentrate so much on our presents. Um, and it gives us a chance to sort of clear what we've got and start afresh in the new year. Um, we have, there's many ways that people can donate. Like I've got a lady that puts in $20 a fortnight because she can't do any other way and that's her contribution. Um, but like I say to anybody, it doesn't matter whether it's $20 or whether it's $200,000, it's, somebody is supporting it somebody yeah. thinks these kiddies are worth supporting so um you know like it could be in kind somebody would like to come down we have a lovely bunch of ladies or we had them last year that came down and wrapped christmas presents for us which was an absolute dream because my lovely ladies could keep going on doing what they, they need to do uh, the demand on our crisis cases has grown so much since COVID and the kids back at school. We've never been this busy. We are struggling to keep up to the demand. Um, so, you know, it doesn't matter how. People can call me. Uh, my number's on the webpage, Facebook, message me. And there's lots of different ways. We have oh, nearly every CWA club in Victoria, knitting and crocheting and sewing and and it's so beautiful to get these beautiful handmade clothes for these kiddies. It's just, you know, it's amazing. Um, we have the older people's homes, and I love that. Actually, the ladies went to visit Ashley House last week um, and had a chat to them and everything, and it was such a lovely feeling because these people have got such skills with their knitting and their sewing and their crochet. And they love to be they love to feel needed. Yeah. And where where they're saying, hey, we do need you because we run out of these items. And yeah. it doesn't matter whether it's a pair of mittens or whether it's a teddy or whether it's a blanket. We need them all. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's lots of ways that people can support us. It, it's not just money. Yeah. You know, it is awareness. 
talk to everybody, talk to people, you know. Um, you know, I heard a Better Life Trust kids the other day. Why do we need this charity? The government, these children are the government's responsibility. The carers can't make decisions for these children without the department's approval. So why isn't the department supplying what they should for these children? When I was a ward of the state, um, which I did, they made me a ward of the state at two and a half and it was still in place until I was 18. Um, every time you left the home or that sort of thing, you'd get a full full case of clothing. Now, it wasn't a little case. It was a full-size case um, and things like that. I did stay with a foster parent there for a while and if she as much as spent two cents on me, she'd get the receipt and she'd take it down to the welfare and they would pay her back. We can't get that for these kids now. You know, the agencies get money for every placement that they take. So why do they need to come to me to get things? They shouldn't have to. And this is, I'm not saying it's not the workers and that sort of thing. It's just the system that is in that system. And it's, um, they are the government's responsibility. Mm. But sadly, the government don't take responsibility. Uh, well, we notice that with a lot of things that the government should be taking responsibility on, but there are people on the ground everywhere, like you, like me doing stuff in Africa, there are people on the ground who are doing what the government should be doing mm. because the government's body is simply not doing it. And thank God there are people who will step up and stand up and say, well, hang on, I think these people are worth it. These kids are bloody worth it. So, Oh, look, definitely, yes, you know, and that's where our... That's why we can keep going. We yeah. don't take any government grants towards things for the foster kids. Um, so, therefore, that allows me free to do my advocating, to yeah. jump up and down and tell them yeah. that they're wrong and that sort of thing. Whereas if I became a government-funded agency, I would then be gagged. And yeah. that's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm about. You know, I went through a bit of a hissy fit early in the year, for the want of a better word, and that was it suddenly dawned on me that I really have not changed this system. After eight years of trying, I haven't changed it. I've made it easier for carers and better for the kiddies, but I haven't changed the actual system. And that's scary to think that after eight years of talking to politicians, of trying to see ministers, of going everywhere I can to talk, doing every news art, newspaper article I could, that we still have not changed something. It's only a few years ago that the carers got permission to have the children's hair cut without their parents' consent. So, And you can imagine how some of these kids come to, into care with their hair. Yeah. Um, you know, how ridiculous. We've taken away the parenting role from these foster parents and that started when they started calling them foster carers. They've taken the parent title out, which removes the parent authority also. These people are the parents of these children. They need to be able to act as the parents of these children. Um, and I think if we get back to where that happens, I think a lot of these kiddies will be so much better off. Yeah. 
But in the meantime, we've just got to keep supporting you. <laughs> That's a, Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it could be bloody 20 years. Off. If you've still got 20 years, buddy, left in your advocating because it's it's a bloody tiring thing to be constantly well, adv- advocating and it's exhausting. Gee, I, I hope I have got another 20 years. Look out, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you have. <laughs> You're probably tougher than the rest of us. <laughs> it's um so so people can um yeah go to go to your website, which is a better life for foster kids.org.au. I'll put that in the show notes anyway, and they can yeah. um they can donate. But with this, just lastly, the Christmas um gifts, uh, are you yeah. can people drop Christmas gifts down to the memorial hall in sale or is uh, look they can. Um the girls are there every Thursday between 10.30 and 2.30. That's a definite. But I'm happy. My mobile number is 0412-154-424. So if anybody wants to donate and that, I'm more than happy for them just to ring me. Mm-hmm. And also keep your eye out. We've got uh, businesses all over Gippsland with giving trees. Yeah. So um, you can just drop them in there, you know. Okay. So it's... Um, it's a little bit hard getting them up and going so early because people don't want to think about Christmas at the moment. But given that 90% of our gifts are actually posted out, um, I need to get them in early. So, yes. you know, and if there's any businesses out there listening or groups, you're more than welcome to have a Christmas uh, giving tree. I'm happy to send out the details then that to anybody. Once again, just give me a call. Um, and a lot of the parents like, the children to actually give the gifts. Yeah, yeah. To and that's, that's, yep. to, yeah, and that's um that's where the giving trees come in handy. But anybody can just ring me, message me, and I'll tell them their closest drop-off point. Fantastic. Do you have those drop-off points on the website? I will do as they start joining us. We've only got three at the moment, so yep. they'll go up hopefully tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and then we'll just keep adding to them and adding to them. So, yeah. yeah that's that's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. How many kids do you think you support? Um, look, we've, it depends each year sort of thing. Like last year we did over a 1,000 families. Wow. Now, given, given that these families have more than one or two children, that's yeah. an awful lot of children that we, um, yeah. we reach. We reach as, you know, many as we can. We get lists from the departments. Some of the agencies give us lists lists and that type of thing. So it's an unknown. It really is. We've already got um, 200 and something families on our list already. And that it starts rushing around the beginning of November. So um, I'm hoping to get all these ones out before the next list comes in. Yeah, and and people can donate um, new toys. Don't give Heather your shit. Um, donate new toys, and um, from what ages? Anything between zero and fifteen. Yep. That Karen, no, we go from birth yep. to twenty-one. Birth to twenty-one. Okay, cool. Yep, and we don't we don't take used toys, um, and the. Other thing is nothing too heavy because a lot, like I said, most of ours are posted out. Yeah. Um, and the one thing we do include the biological children when we send out the gifts, 
because what people don't realise is these biological children, they go without a lot for their parents to be foster parents. So and it, it's the kiddies are going into a family. So we cannot separate that family as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. therefore, every child in that household between birth and 21 will receive a gift from us. Yeah. And um, gift cards is the other thing that we, you know, the teens, start, starting from 12 up, um, they can end up with a beach towel, toiletry pack, something, a backpack, something like that, plus a $30 gift card from uh, Kmart, Big W and Target, but they must be generic for those stores. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because if the child does go home at Christmas time and mum or dad sees that and, you know, a little bit short of money, they'll, you know, and they can use it in the supermarkets and that, uh, they will take it off the kids. There's no point in pretending they won't. Yeah. Um, and the other thing being is a lot of the kids are in regional towns and they don't have the squiggles and the rebel stores and those sorts of things. So if we keep it generic like that, People can hop online and send us a gift card and that sort of thing. So that's another thing we really go through a lot of. Yeah. Wow. So you need tons and tons and tons. Well, I hope that um, this is going to reach people. We'll start promoting that too as well. But um, Heather, thank you so very much for joining us because, you know, the, the information here is just so uh, what's so desperately desperately needed you know to be on the table and in conversation and we we need to stop pretending it's not happening it does happen and it's critical that we're talking about these kids and not and in a positive way you know and really really trying to um if nothing else if nothing else be kind about them you know and be empathetic towards their situation but I, I think it'd be wonderful if people could donate and you know and just help you out because I think you do one hell of a mighty job and, you know, that's I think it's wonderful, just wonderful. Thank you, Karen. Um, and I am proud of what we've achieved, mm. definitely. Yeah. But we've got, to, we've got to keep in mind it's those wonderful girls I have behind me every Thursday without fail. Sometimes I think they're, they're ready to murder me when I take in pile, junk, drop a junk pile of stuff off to them and that sort of thing. and. Most of those girls have been with me for six years sort of thing, you know, um, and they just give and give and give and give. You know, we've seen that at the PJ Day where they all toddled off to different schools all by themselves and um, that makes a huge difference when you're doing something like this. Yeah. I am still lucky enough I can go, I have a lung condition and I go up to Darwin, Northern Territory area in the beginning of each year. And that sort of sets me up for winter. Those girls run the place like no man's business. So that's something. And the community, the community support is the next thing that really makes this possible. So to all of them, I say thank you. Um, thanks for making it actually possible to do what I can do. Oh, I love you. God, you're a gem. <laughs> thank you so much. I, I agree. Like we 
the, the, behind every great person, there's a whole bloody stack of others that are, you know, nobody ever gets to see. But I'm so glad you made that decision to, you know, start this. And I know there's days when it's probably nearly killing you, you know, because it's it's bloody hard work. And sometimes when you're looking at, well, I'm not even changing the system, it's, it's that defeated feeling that you get. But it's the passion, you know, and the drive that you've got to make a difference that gets you back up every day. And um yeah, I don't know. On behalf of on behalf of everybody I can think of, you know, I just want to say thank you to you for the work you do for the kids. Oh, thank you, Karen. And I love your support. And um, yeah, look forward to sort of catching up a little bit more often that type of thing. And look so do forward I. to next next year's conference definitely on <laughs> <CK> day first <laughs> <laughs> yes heather's talking about our girls with hammers conference which was last week and uh heather was there and it was fantastic and the um, pj day yes i went as a guest as a yes. guest and absolutely <laughs> loved it so um yeah i do hope to catch up more often heather yeah it's just been it's been a joy really has been, been lovely yeah and thanks for the opportunity karen to get the word out and you know, if anybody's interested in me talking somewhere, feel free to give me a call because I'll go everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And you support all of Victoria, don't you? We do. We started out with Gippsland, but then I started realising that a lot of our Gippsland children are all over. They're all over Australia. You know, we've got a sibling group of three girls living in Western Australia because they're not safe in their own town with their parent. You know, so people don't realise that, you know, they are everywhere. Our cases are mainly Gippsland. Um, But when our kiddies from Gippsland are going all over Australia, we need to support those kiddies. We need to say, you know, they are our community. doesn't matter where they are. They're our community. So, therefore, we need to look after them. Yep. And they say it takes a village to raise a child. So, yeah, certainly does. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, all right. Well, thank you so very much and um, chat again very soon. No worries. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Heather. See ya. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, guys, I absolutely love the work Heather's doing and those kids, you know, like to, to feel like somebody is there for them and has got their back and really, really cares about them. That's so damn important. I just, I just love that. I really hope that, that it's given you, you know, just a bit more in depth understanding of the, of the foster system and, and, and what these kids might be going through. And, you know, for those of us who were not raised in that system, you know, we just don't know. We just don't, understand what it would be like you know and I think the best that we can do out of our privilege is give back the best you know like we are privileged and we are lucky and we shouldn't sit in that privilege without actually helping so you know give a donation go to the website do whatever you can give a Christmas gift you know just keep it in mind that they've got to be light and small enough to be posted around but Check out the website, a better life for fosterkids.org.au, or you can catch Heather on Facebook under the same thing, a better life for foster kids, and also on Insta. But I'm going to put those um, links in the show notes and please get in contact with her. Her phone number is on the website as well. And I don't know. I really hope. I really hope this episode touched your heart because it certainly touched mine. So, please support a better life for foster kids. And 
uh, if you want Heather to speak at your school or at your service club or anything like that, please get in touch with your, with her because what a story. Like people need to hear that and she is the best voice to be out there saying it. So please, 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 if you need her to speak or want her to speak, please get in touch with her. And thank you for joining me every week. I love you and I will see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.